0: how do you get an appraisal for an unique asset let's say for example the golden gate bridge or how do you find the value of the atlanta airport or what an nft is worth and that is the question i wanted answered and that's why in this episode i am interviewing bharat kanoria he has 20 years of experience and he has signed off on over 4,500 valuations, worth over $2.6 trillion in assets globally. Hello, innovators and explorers. Welcome to another episode of the Web 3.0 podcast. I'm your host, Sam Kamani. I am an Amazon best-selling author and a tech startup founder. I'm here to take you on a journey to explore this new land of Web 3.0, which is filled with opportunities that can help you build generational wealth. So, Vard, it's great to have you on the show. I would love to know a bit of your background. You have an extremely interesting background, everything from writing for the Inc. Magazine to, to evaluating companies for so many different organizations. Would love to know your background. How did you get started in this space and what you are doing these days? I've been in
1: valuation all my career of 20 years, and I have been fortunate or unfortunate to have valued some of the most unique, interesting assets in the world, which includes companies like Uber, Airbnb, Yahoo, or uh, unique assets like the Brooklyn Bridge or the San Francisco Bay Bridge, Golden Gate Bridge, or uh, the Mirage Casino, or Atlanta Airport, or Aliaskan Pipeline. I not only value companies. I also value unique, tangible assets. I Nowadays, I can also value NFTs. So most people in my world, in the valuation world, they silo themselves and they might say, I value, say, only commercial real estate or something like that. I don't subscribe to that theory because over the last 20 years, I have been able to value all kinds of assets of diverse risk and liquidity. So I'm not afraid to roll up my sleeves and look at something unique from a fresh perspective.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, that, I have so many questions because as there are so many new types of assets these days that didn't used to exist no one had even heard about 10 years ago if you'd say to someone most people didn't know even six months ago what an NFT was compared to what is happening now so I have lots of questions on that side on the three side of things a web three type of assets such as cryptocurrency tokens um, NFTs all those sort of things and I have my own thesis on how to (laughs) value like on the NFT and the token side of things I have a question first on the the old school Side of things. How do you even get started with valuing something like a bridge or a company or something like that? Of course, company, you have profits and losses and last years of financial records and stuff. But what about a bridge which has things tied to economic impact? How do you get started with something so big like that? The
1: reason I am successful in valuing unique or one of a kind type of assets is because. I don't take my eyes off the fundamentals of valuations, Sam, status. You can change the asset or the asset type, but so long as you ensure that your foundation is that of the fundamental valuation theory, you can value almost anything. So even a bridge or an airport, you're using the fundamentals of valuation, which is you're looking at a cost approach or you're looking at a income approach or you're looking at a comparison approach so cost approach is what might it cost to replace the bridge today the income approach is what is the cash flow from the bridge and present valuing that cash flow to today and the third way is how much are similar bridges are selling for or being built for in the market today and comparing that to the bridge or the asset that is at hand. Now, there are really only three ways of valuing everything. Now, there are subcategories within these three approaches. So, there are really only three approaches. Now, somebody might come to you and say, no, there are six approaches or eight approaches. You know, those approaches are just subcategories within these approaches. So, I could also say, yeah, there are 50 approaches of valuing something. Yeah. But the main buckets are these three.
0: That's yeah that's very interesting the prices in the market sometimes don't reflect the valuation i'm sure you would have seen especially in the last 2 years when people have had a lot more time and they're using that time to spend on reddit and or anywhere all on discord groups or twitter or anywhere and they get i don't know emotionally driven rather than valuation-driven. And so that's why I feel like the, the prices don't match. AMC should not be valued at that or GME should not be valued at that. How Do you take any of the emotional side of things into account when you're valuating? Because people have, I don't know, emotional attachment to Golden Gate Bridge type of an asset, which is well-known throughout the movies over the last 80 years or however, however long there's been shown in the movies for...
1: I should, but frankly, I am not smart enough to account for that. I can't tell what people are thinking or what people might be thinking. What I can do is look at the fundamentals and the data of the asset today or make estimates of what that data might be like in the future and analyze it based on what I see. I... Also consider how the market might be looking at this asset in terms of growth. Yeah, But if tomorrow Elon sells his Bitcoin and Bitcoin tanks, mm-hmm. I, I I don't, I can't. I, you, you can't control it. <laughs> yeah, nobody <laughs> can tell the future. I don't have a magic eight ball. It's
0: very true. It's a bit like, um, I don't know if you remember, when was it? A few years ago, there was a big fire in one of the really old medieval churches in France. Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah, yes. And immediately, because it was such an emotional icon that People all around the world fundraised and and rebuilt it and stuff. Or, or not I don't know rebuilt it, but billion dollars were immediately raised. And at the same time, there were other fires around some a lot of other churches in Africa and no one paid attention. No, we don't even know. We didn't even hear any news. It's just I was looking at a comparison that it didn't get any media it didn't get because it wasn't an emotional attachment so it they have uh, they don't have the what do you call cash reserves but this is a backup emotional capital that they have built in people's hearts that they can raise revenue anytime they want but they, same thing if anything happened to golden gate bridge people will raise money immediately to fund it because it's happened here in new zealand or other places i've seen when um a beloved structure is damaged um Money comes in from everywhere. There will be NFT projects fundraising for it, and all sorts of things will happen. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: The French are excellent and they've been very successful at marketing their country and themselves. Yes. To the world as the capital of love or romance or history or what have you. And there is at least 200 times more history in parts of Africa or Asia. Yes. Uh, But again, it's all about uh, marketing. Yeah. The French are very good at that. My wife watches a show and I'd hate to admit it, even I have started to watch it. It's called Emily in Paris. It's on Netflix. And why Paris? Why is Paris the romantic capital of the world? Why not Prague? Why not? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Those are beautiful cities. Why not Hong Kong? Those yes. are beautiful
0: cities. Why Paris? So it, it's again, all about marketing. It is about marketing. Talking about that completely different tension. Have you heard of the Paris syndrome?
1: No. Tell me.
0: Okay, so it is in Japanese, it's called uh, Pari Shokugan. I, I am butchering the pronunciation, but basically Japan is very efficient. It's very clean. There are no homeless people in Japan on the streets. There are no drunk people. There are no drugged up people in the streets. There are no trash cans on the street. There are, they go from that type of uh, extremely efficient environment to to Paris. Because they have seen Paris in movies, and they have this amazing. They are coming from an extremely high level, and then they have an amazing, highly high sort of expectation of Paris. So when they go to Paris, they get uh, they are in a state of shock and because their the reality does not match their expectation they see homeless people, they see drug needles, they see like a, a bit like San Francisco, any developed city has that type of issues. they see homeless people, they see refugee camp type things, they see all these things that they did not that the movies didn't show, the romantic movies didn't show those things, they see the filth, they see all sorts of things, that, and they see riots or they have a lot of demonstrations of what you call protests and stuff in, in in Paris through, throughout the year and they have a mental sort of a breakdown and so the the doctors hospitals they know that this is what happens to Japanese students who come to Paris because of the fake marketing
1: Japan is I've been to Japan not too many three four times each time only Tokyo I have not done the touristy thing I've only there for for business And Japan is at a whole different level. It's it's like the rest, if if America is is in fourth grade, the Japanese are like juniors in high school. Yeah. The Japanese play at a whole different ball. They're in a different league. The service, the facilities, the infrastructure, fantastic.
0: Yeah, yeah. Most people don't realize How much the American infrastructure has not kept up in the last forty years? Pretty much, U.S. stopped building after nineteen (laughs) eighties. There are Americans. Uh, No Americans.
1: Americans are oblivious. Yes. To that fact.
0: Absolutely oblivious. Have no idea. Have absolutely no idea. And. Maybe like America's since 1966, they've been wanting to build a high-speed rail, (laughs) no signs of it. Probably Africa already has, or Africa will get high-speed rail before, yeah, U.S. will get, because you you can't build anything anymore in U.S., unfortunately. I mean, on public side, private side, yes, it it is still, it is still number one in many ways on the private side. Yeah.
1: Uh, Yeah. U.S. is very isolated in a way from the world and the media ensures that it stays that way so that Americans keep getting this narrative that there's nobody better than us. And in some ways it is true, but in some ways it might not be true.
0: Yes, Yes. in many ways it is not true. And so... It used to be, but TikTok is changing things because you get content from all over the world in TikTok. And there are so many Americans I'm seeing who have immigrated out of U.S. to Germany, to Mexico, to other places of the world, and they are having much better um, experiences than they did. They are having a lot more opportunity. They're not ending up with student loans like they do in US. There are student loans in other places, some places not, but it's not the same. Things don't cost the same in other places because inflation is also not the same. I've seen like last 40 years, pretty much this is all English speaking developed countries like US, Canada, Australia, new zealand and uk all these places last 30 40 years the cost for two things have gone up disproportionately and, and or three things and one of that is education second one is healthcare, which i'm sure you're aware of but yeah so that's very interesting anyway coming back to coming back to valuating digital assets or Things such as cryptocurrency, that are now sixteen thousand plus different coins. Let's get started with the biggest one, the granddaddy of all, Bitcoin. How do you even, yeah, how do you evaluate it? Something like that. I can't. <laughs> No one can, I
1: think. I, I can't. I, I don't know what Bitcoin is worth. I feel like, you almost feel like some, it's a Ponzi scheme sometimes. But who knows? I, 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 in fact, I, I, have you had a chance to see my YouTube channel? I, I'm going to be checking it out soon, yeah. Yeah, I produced a video on Bitcoin. What's a Bitcoin worth? Yeah, And that video was done in April, and I stand by what I said in that video today. Bitcoin might be worth whatever, $50,000 or whatever it is worth today. I have no idea why. I think it's just because more people are jumping on the bandwagon, and there's just high demand, short supply, and that's it. And anything which is only based on high demand and short supply seems artificial almost like the tulip. So uh, who knows, maybe Bitcoin is worth a half a million dollars or a million dollars, whatever people say it is. But it is also to be noted that the people who make those speculations are also the investors in Bitcoin. So so it is to their benefit to make such um uh,
0: an assumptions,
1: speculation. Yes, yeah It is uh, absolutely a spec- yeah. Fundamentally, I don't know why it's worth that, but I'm not denying that it is worth that. I can't. That's what people are saying. If somebody's writing a check for fifty thousand also on Bitcoin, who am I to say that they are right or wrong? Yeah. Um, but as a valuation expert, I cannot come up with, um, a fifty thousand dollar or whatever it is worth. and Put it on paper and sign my name on it. I just can't. I'm not that smart. So some things are just market driven.
0: Yeah, that's what I was saying. That there was recently a quote I had seen. What do you call that? There were a lot of meme stock. I'm. Sh- I. You might have followed the meme stock phenomenon of the last two years. AMC, GME, BlackBerry. All, all these sort of meme stocks are. And uh, so, I have like friends who are in this sort of industry and who own their funds or whatever and then they were like they saw that they're 30 times not 30 percent 30 times overvalued some of these things and they were very tempted to short it but then they know that they've read quotes like this that markets can meme longer than you can stay afloat sometimes and and that's what has happened the value hasn't gone down because people who are holding those believe in it to sticking up against the the establishment and they see the old school money who was shorting it based on fundamentals because fundamentally there, there is no demand for GameStop and all these sort of things which are going bankrupt so of course they'd be shorted and so yeah anyway anyway that that's a different story talking about um talking about the valuation of of Bitcoin l- let me share a, a different perspective now I don't hold disclaimer uh, I hold extremely insignificant amount of of cryptocurrency i don't hold a lot even though i've been um, in this space and looking in this space and let me share the what do you call the utility of it of how i have used it personally and i had to use it because i had no alternative as you, most is made up by someone it might have backing things to it but it is made up either by governments or by kings or by someone and it is uh, uh similar sort of a scenario. But anyway, that's a separate topic. Coming back to the utility, we live in a developed country. We have access to banks. We have access to financial institutions. A lot of the world lives in parts of the world where they do not have access to a bank. They don't have any ID card. They don't pretty much anything. They do have a phone. They do have internet connection. But they don't have access to to pretty much all the other things that we have. So they cannot even get an ID to get a bank account or or even the bank accounts are not accessible in their country or the government can take over your bank account when they want to. In, in those cases. So I employed a, what do you call a, a developer in Nigeria? Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have, he doesn't want money in any other form apart from a digital currency like Bitcoin. Because that is the only thing accessible to him. So I can pay him in Bitcoin. And when he wants to buy something, he can spend it in that. And so he can earn directly working remote jobs around the world, get paid in Bitcoin or any other Mm -hmm. cryptocurrency, and he can spend in that. So there are like nearly 1.5 billion people around the world who are unbanked, who can start taking part in the global economy without ever owning a bank account. And if that is not a big utility, that is what we use money for, exchange of of value, for transfer of wealth. And it is already being used, not only Bitcoin, other currencies as well, by tens or hundreds of millions of people. So how would you value something like that?
1: Again, I stand by what I said. There are, I'm sure many utilities to it. I think Bitcoin is not something that is going to go away tomorrow, but what might happen is if Bitcoin gains too much momentum to a point where the US dollar or the British pound or the Chinese yen RMB, they start losing their value and momentum starts to move too much around Bitcoin. Yeah. It's very easy for any um, government in the world to link money laundering or terrorist activities.
0: Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Bitcoin. It, it has reasons
1: like that because Bitcoin yes. is off the radar yes. and it can be accessed by anyone, anywhere. Yes. Um, because of those reasons might backfire as well.
0: And, and that's can, why it got banned it, it, in China. Or, you know that. That's why it got banned in China because it does take the control because then... The government loses tax revenue, or right yeah, yeah,
1: not tax revenue because anytime you want to convert to the local currency, you have to pay a tax on it.
0: The idea is you never convert; you just right. spend but, in that as well.
1: Okay, so, yeah, but you're relinquishing control, and one thing governments don't, don't want—yes, exactly. they never want to relinquish control. I think it would be—I I believe in Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin would be a great thing if it really does work, but I am just apprehensive that governments are not going to like relinquishing control.
0: Yeah, Uh, yeah.
1: uh, And they might pin a illegal terrorist activity or money laundering with Bitcoin and there's a reason for them to ban it completely off the charts.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. It's likely to happen in bigger countries, not in smaller countries because they want a technical edge they want to allow innovation. So just there are what you call like tax havens around the world, whether it's Bermuda or Dubai or wherever. Similar things will happen in smaller countries. They will allow tech innovation around finance, around cryptocurrency, around DeFi, decentralized finance and stuff. And bigger countries won't because they want to control. <laughs> they want to retain control and smarter talent will move to to smaller countries like this. Talking about tulip mania, people, I do realize the value of bubbles is tulip mania created trillions of dollars of wealth over the last 200 or more years for Netherlands. So even now, Netherlands controls the flower trade of the world, it's worth tens of billions or if not hundreds of billions every year. Even though it's so small, like Netherlands compared to the global and it controlled 60, 70% of the global flower trade. So whenever a bubble happens, it sucks up all the talent and then it rides that wave and it controls and completely dominates that industry. Just like what Silicon Valley did with all the dot-com bubble and everything. It sucked up all the talent And even now, if you look at the number of unicorns made over the last 20 years, 60, 70% of would be made in that extremely small geographic area out of the whole globe. And that's part of it is because the smartest people congregate there and, and it becomes like the center of industry. And trillions of dollars of startups in total, if you collect, have been born. Millions of jobs have been created all around the world. Because of all those things. So bubbles happen. And the same thing is happening in the Web3 and the crypto space. It is getting, it is sucking up all the talent out of every industry, whether it's marketers, developers, anything you say, and working in. In cryptocurrency, in tokenization, DeFi, decentralized exchanges, they're called DEX, all those sort of things. So I think that the future in 5-10 years, you would see that it is already creating billionaires and multimillionaires like never before. I don't mean just about speculation about other things, there's so much um, happening. That it's going to be very big. That, that's what my sort of feeling is. But yeah, anyway, that's a, that's a separate topic. Talking about NFTs, how do you value them? <laughs> NFTs are valued similar to art. Yeah.
1: That depending on what the NFT is, you're looking at, so uh, there's usually no income stream. For the NFT. The cost of creating one is also almost negligible. So the way you really think about NFT is what are similar NFTs selling for in the market, similar to how you value houses or cars. So that that's how I value NFTs. So if somebody came to me that, hey, I made this little doodle on paper and I created an NFT, I will be looking at, hey, what are similar doodles? made by unknown artists or unknown artists or what have you are selling for with similar NFT property are are selling for and not just listing for, selling. So that'll be, that's the way I do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. How about the access? How do you value the access? So it's NFTs can provide access, which art could not. So say if you own a certain NFT, say, say Steph Curry's NFT and stuff, it's that he will have a, say, for example, he comes up with a, he just came up with an Under Armour shoe collection when he had reached the, the three point milestone, like the most three pointers ever, and it got sold out in in, in like a few hours. But then if he creates a new NFT collection that if you own this NFT or he just creates three of his own, and if you own this NFT once a year, you can spend one hour coaching and get coached by Steph Curry, and of course that NFT is gonna sell for quite a bit of money. How do you value access and NFT? Because that's what happened with Gary V. The reason why he's made ninety million dollars in the last ninety days from NFTs is because if you want to go to his conference, if you want to meet one on one with him, you need one of his NFTs. So they immediately spiked up in value and stuff because now because it's a smart contract, you can put. Conditions of the contract. Art didn't come with a smart contract. These come with a smart contract and they can give you access to to anything, pretty much whatever you put in the terms of the contract. It could be that you get 50% of the income from an oil refinery. If it's an oil refinery's NFT collection, it could be anything, whatever it could be. Do you take into consideration? The, yes. You yeah. look at this. Again, yeah. okay,
1: it just depends on how the contract is written up. If you're trying to value access, so say for example, a few years ago, lunch with Warren Buffett. Yeah, um,
0: exactly. $2 million
1: you know, or something. Yeah, sold or on uh, eBay. Yes. For some ridiculous amount. Same same concept. Same, yeah. same concept. So I have not been asked to value something like that. And frankly, if I am asked to value something like that, I will be looking at, again, what's within the contract and be looking for assets that have similar properties or similar contracts. Exactly right. What they sold for in the market. I would like to think there are other ways of doing it, but I think that's the most appropriate way of doing it. Yeah. It Uh, comes
0: back to the same three things you said earlier, the cost, the income, and the similar assets. (laughs)
1: Exactly. So things.
0: again, I, I I don't take my eye off the
1: ball. I I stick with the fundamentals, and that's why even if you throw something unique at me, yeah. I am I I can follow through with that valuation.
0: That is very cool, and I can see that your thesis stands true across different asset types and across different platforms, the three things, that's why I was taking notes when you were saying that, okay, you need to look at these three things and yep. But what do you do when you are the first one in the market, the first NFT project, like in CryptoPunks in 2017, they didn't know what to put their value as, and now they're worth millions of dollars each NFT. It's just because they are first, just the first piece of something, first oh. shoe, first stamp of something. Most people don't come to me when they want to do that. Um, yeah, no, you know, they, they example, sold for 70 bucks. <laughs> and yeah, now they and reached first, about 6 million.
1: 10,000 bitcoins were sold for... We'll get, I know, I know, um, exactly. I don't know. It, it could be anything, right? If, if somebody wants to buy this shirt, what is it worth? $5, $10, <laughs> $10? Who knows? Who knows, it, yeah. Depends on how much uh, somebody loves me or hates me. I, I, I can't quantify that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because that's one of the thing I'm thinking of doing, and is selling the podcast as an NFT, and and just see what happens. And just put it out to the audience, and if they want, they can purchase the podcast, as in each episode or clips of the episode, as an NFT, and then share the revenue with the audience, with the guests, with the, with all of those. Everyone shares the revenue and creating a DAO around it, like a decentralized. No, NFT is just a smart
1: contract. That's all. It
0: yeah, is. that's all it is. Yeah yeah um, so that's and- what it would be that everyone will get a share of it that's what it will, it will be in the contract so that's what we are thinking of doing with this yeah but look no that that is it, it's pretty much you've given me all the right ans- like all the answers on how you value and how your thesis can be used across different um, asset types my final question is that do you have a ask are you looking for anything
1: no if it just help me spread the word for my youtube channel
0: Absolutely. Uh,
1: And, you know, there's a episode I have done on NFTs and there's an episode I have done on Bitcoins. Yeah, If you want to share the links of those episodes.
0: We'll be putting those links under the show notes. In every platform, it goes like Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all. Yeah, and
1: if you want to know what your podcast is worth, I have done an episode on what a podcast is worth as well, if that interests you.
0: Oh, fantastic. I will check it out. I missed that one. I did see the title of the What a Bitcoin, like the...
1: the Yeah, there's one on podcast also, and I am uh, playing a double role. Yeah. Yeah. So you might find that. Mistake.
0: I absolutely will check that out. So thank you so much. What I'm going to do is put your LinkedIn and other social profiles underneath in the description as well. So if anyone wants um to connect with you, follow you, um, reach out to you, they can do that via that. And yeah, look, it's been um, a fascinating conversation. I got to learn a lot about valuations. Thank you, Bharat, so much for your time. And I just want to wish you best of luck for, for yeah, ongoing growth. Sam,
1: thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And it was very nice to meet you.
0: Likewise. And also thank you to you, the audience of this podcast. Thank you once again for tuning in and listening to this episode. I would love to connect with you. So reach out to me. Reach out to me if you have any questions about Web3. I would love to answer them. And if I cannot, then I will find an expert who can. Finally, share this podcast with a friend who you think should know and learn more about Web3, who you think should get involved in the world of crypto, decentralized finance, metaverse, NFTs, and more. Thank you once again and have a fantastic day.